We did it, Will. We did the thing. Not yet. Don't 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 jeopardize <laughs> this. We have one more to go. All right. My name is Nathan Pletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. All right, Will, here we are. What are we talking about this time? Nathan, this time we are finishing our long conversation about game design and wrapping up the first series of the Design Games Podcast. I mean, I got to say, I, th- I think it's it's pretty rad that we had an idea and have executed it and have come to a to a natural completion point, right? Yeah. Here's what I was projecting forward in past episodes and mm-hmm. between past episodes was the notion that when this day came, that we felt like we had said enough of what we wanted to say that we would either peter out, which I don't think we did, or that I would disagree so fervently with how I talked or what I thought at the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. And I definitely disagree with myself in certain points throughout the show in hindsight or in the fact that I've learned stuff since we recorded those, but not fervently, not not to the extent that I would like, well, we have to take that out and redo it. But instead what it is, is I feel like it's worth underlining in this case that there's so much variety and so many different ways to do this successfully, mm-hmm. not just successfully in the sense of financial success or beautiful products or what have you, but it just in the sense of, of successfully achieving vision Mm -hmm. in games the conversation about designing games could go on and on and on and i hope does and i hope it goes on in a combination of additional podcasts from additional creators i hope it goes on in the form of the actual conversations between products and games and i hope it goes on at conventions and meetups and on blogs and twitter and everything you know for years as opposed to gamers and game designers working and living in isolation mm-hmm. which is sometimes the case where everybody's relearning the same mistakes individually instead of being able to learn from each other's successes and and setbacks yeah definitely i mean i think the the conversation continues but that doesn't mean that we need to continue indefinitely exactly because we now have a body of work that can be interpreted and gone back to and thought about and brought into an individual's process or experience. Right. And maybe at some point when either we've changed, you know, enough, if we've gone farther on our journeys or if our circumstances have changed and we feel like it's time to revisit some things or we've discovered new things that we think would be useful and and helpful to talk about, we can always come back, right? Like that's part of the conversation never being over is that you don't have to be done talking or done participating. You can always start again. Yeah, exactly. And it's as good a reason as any to not just keep talking in this show, not just until we come back around to something. Yeah. I feel like doing a final episode, doing the 50th episode like this in this series, in this particular segment of whatever the the design games title will end up encompassing overall, Mm -hmm. it helps formalize the handoff in the idea that this conversation that you and I have had, eventually we have to get up and go back to work. Right. By having a conclusion, the thing gains a degree of completion, mm-hmm. which gives it the ability, as you say, to be referred to in reference and such in a really valuable way, not just by others and by us, but I mean, by both others and us, mm-hmm. so that it becomes that part of the body of work, as you say. There's a little bit of pushing the baby bird out of the nest. When something is completed, then it can stand on its own. And you can step back and kind of get a holistic, here's my reflection on it. Here's what I learned. Here are the good things about it. Maybe the flaws that, you know, it still has. Right. And in that way, completing things, finishing things, saying this is now done, I think is a critical part of the design process at various stages, whether it's 
the design is done, the layout is done, the marketing plan is done, the Kickstarter is done, the production is done, right? right. Like those are all gates, right, of finishing a thing and getting it out into the world. For me, when I, th I think about projects, right, and like all of those things are kind of encompassed under the arc of the project, I need to have a point where I say the project is done. And the next phase of it is a different project. There's Masks of the Mummy Kings or Worldwide Wrestling. That's done. And now the project of making sure that this thing is available for people to buy for the foreseeable future is its own project. Mm -hmm. And obviously has a relationship to the first one, but it's also a phase where I stop thinking about the first one. This is not occupying my headspace anymore because I need to work on other things. And then later, you know, I can circle back, look at it with fresh eyes, mm -hmm. gain some perspective, be able to use what I've learned in the interim from other projects to reflect upon it. But that state of, of the never-ending project, it's hard. Yeah. Like, it's hard to have those projects. And I think we all do. We all yeah. have something that's just been sitting there and you you haven't been able to get your hands around it or you haven't found the into it yet. Or the out. <laughs> or Yeah, or the out. Sometimes saying done is like, I'm no longer going to do this project, right? Like sometimes that's the completion state. But yeah, it's hard to have those things that just draw out forever. And from my perspective, I didn't want this to be a forever podcast. Right. Yeah, me neither. One of the things to, to remember is that despite the fact that we use words like done and finished and complete with something like a, with a project of any kind, mm -hmm. and I think it's very, very healthy, the ability to say I'm going to go back or rather revisit as opposed to go back to revisit in a way that says I'm going to do a second edition, I'm going to do an expansion. It's not that you are reopening project A, it's that you are basing project D on it. Mm -hmm. Right. In a way yeah. that's healthier for, I think, just the, the design mind. I mean, essentially, it's kind of if you think about it, almost like, a you know, you could go back and do a new director's cut of a movie. Mm -hmm. Right. But it doesn't actually undo the fact that we all saw the previous cut of it. Yeah. If your notion is that the RPG is a game line and that 20 books are the project, I think you and the project both benefit from saying, no, the rule book is a project. And when it's out, it's out. Mm -hmm. Everything else after that is its own thing. Mm. And this is, I think, healthy for the consumer. I think it's healthy for the player. I think it's healthy for the designer. I think it's healthy for the retailer is the notion that, and I'm a big believer in the idea that RPGs move from the treadmill to the expansion model, almost like board games or like video games and stuff, in which you say, here's the thing. And now mm. this is a supplement to it, but or you can see it as an expansion, but it's not necessarily that the game isn't complete until it has 10 books out or it's only alive right. while new things are coming out. Mm -hmm. I think those are understandable, but I think we're learning that that was a temporary period in, in RPG design. Yeah, the notion that everything that you could ever create for a game needs to exist for the game to be finished. I think that's a hard mentality to maintain as a creator. Right. And it's akin to the idea that games can't be completed. They can only be failed. Right. Which is also... Unhealthy for everybody. Unhealthy for everybody. Uh, yeah, I agree that I think that the market has kind of moved to where the expectation of never-ending supplemental material is less present. And I think that's good for everyone as well. your additional material or your new material or your supplementary stuff un unto your second edition or whatever mm -hmm. your revision those things still stand alone even though they're in reference to or building on the stuff that came before they still need to have their own identity they still have their own process that they go through even if it's a small thing and then maybe you have little like families of ideas that work together right like my micro game series like they're individual games they don't talk to each other on the design level mm -hmm. but they're a family of aesthetic and approach to a small game so i kind of cluster them together as a product line for lack of a better term yeah 
versus like worldwide wrestling where like the supplemental material for that is literally here is more material for this game that you need to have this game in order to use which is a classic of expansion to me right is that yeah which is like the kind of the default model of of that but it is its own little family of products and projects where even those pay what you want digital supplement mini supplements like those have their own little life cycle. There's not an eternal project of producing more material for this game unto forever. Each one has its own design goals and then has its own point where I said, okay, this is done and gets to stand alone as its own little thing. And maybe I do another one later. The door's always open for more, but I can also assess them as their own thing at different points in time like here's just the core game here's the core game plus some digital supplements here's the core game the print supplement and all the other little supplements right those are different snapshots of where the game is at different points in time but the project of making the core game like that's done i finished that project i'm now on a two different ones there's an element there in also what gets named which i think is interesting and is a design question um, to think about late in the design stage for example Mm -hmm. There's a history in RPGs that you name the game. There's a history in RPGs that you name campaigns within the game, mm-hmm. especially if they're published, that you name maybe the game engine, which will connect to various other games. But very often that family that you're talking about is named for the first product, is named for the game, mm-hmm. or the game line and the rulebook share the same name, or the rulebook's name is the name of the game plus the word rulebook or whatever. So for example, Apocalypse World is a game, and Dungeon World is not an expansion to an Apocalypse World, but they share an engine powered by the Apocalypse. D20 stuff back in the day was often shared not just an engine but also needed to refer to a player's handbook for some of the core rules but so the D20 system was a spine or a thread that ran through a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. as an experiment we'll see how in the long run if it works but I decided to name the family of games for Dark as Project Dark Mm-hmm. And that includes Dark and Darknet and, and the settings and stuff that, that are all use the same rule book, but they are settings within the thing. And, and then there will be, boiler, a couple of things from other publishers or other designers coming out under the umbrella of Project Dark or using kind of the same engine. Mm-hmm. But that I didn't want to define them so much that it's not the Project Dark system. It's mm-hmm. not that the rules spine, because people are free to deviate from that however much they want if they're going to go ahead and, and make the, the supplements that I've agreed that I'm, that I'm essentially licensing out. So that Dark is the rule book. And like that's what appears in italics for the rulebook is dark. And that's that first setting is the fantasy setting. And those are intentionally conflated. Then if you want to expand it into other settings, there's dark net and dark planet and then various other people's settings. The rules will be similar. They'll change how much or as, as little as needed. But the overall umbrella, the name of the family is Project Dark. Mm-hmm. It's a subtle shift from naming the engine. Yeah. Essentially, at the beginning, it's almost not different at all. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious to see is how it's different over the life cycle of those various products. Yeah. To see if it helps people understand that these are connected, but that this one is not dependent on that one. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of move, if you will, from a from a skeleton to an exoskeleton for mm-hmm. this idea. Or from kind of a, a skeleton to an umbrella. Yeah. If I want to do a thing for Dark, I need to upfront be like, this is going to be a, th- a thing that falls under the Project Dark umbrella. Whether right, it's thematically right. or... You and, know. Th- and that thematically is the fact that if you wanted to do something with a Dark engine that is not stealth, mm-hmm. uh, and you came to me and said, can I quote the rule book in these ways my answer would probably be yes but i'm not going to give you the logo right the nature of play is what mm-hmm. goes under that umbrella the yeah. rules are right now i think the, the only way of doing that mm-hmm. and so in that way it's almost a, a kind of like a mirror of uh, power by the apocalypse right. in which the mode of play the aesthetic the style the the dynamic of what you do when you play this game varies wildly from game to game Right. While some of the, the mechanical system is... How you determine if it happens. Right, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing that, that 
threads through all of the this family of games. Right. Yeah. So there's different ways to approach this idea from the single person or single company making a cluster of related products to these different formal or informal licensing relationships. Right. I had the question in mind that we got online. Mm-hmm about the inspiration and the connection, whether it's literal as a license or just where you're like, you know, that your elevator pitch is to say it's it's Memento meets Top Gun. So the question here, we, we did receive this question from Tomer Gurentz. I apologize if I mispronounced that on Google+. Plus. They prompted us with this idea. What are options around games based on someone else's intellectual property? Caveats, gotchas involved, and they presented as a reference point a game called Legend of the Elements by Max Hervo. Again, I've read it. And I've never heard I, it out loud, so yeah, I'm yeah, not sure how to mess that name up. Which I'm not super familiar with, but essentially is a Avatar: The Last Airbender inspired game. Right. But does not have like an official license or or use the characters or any of that kind of stuff. Right. Without the ability to presume, let us assume that that is the case. Yeah. That is what we both understood from what yeah, from poking around. Yeah. The Kickstarter and, and yeah. kind of the game materials as presented on the internet. And so first of all, the we are not lawyers caveat. But what I what what's interesting to me about this is the question that since we're not talking specifically about licensing per se and the actual intellectual property with the trademarks and the brands and stuff, right? Because that's the thing we can't really discuss. But also one because all licenses are different. Right. I think that's the main thing in terms of talking about this specific issue is that licenses are different. Different IP holders have different systems and expectations. Dis- expectations and and frankly demand different amounts of whether it's money or whether it's some kind of control over the release. Right. Um, you have a wide range from in the gaming world, right? You have at various times, uh, Marvel has, has licensed the Marvel universe to, to, to have games made of it, uh, Star Wars, um, et cetera, et cetera. We kind of know the big ones. But there's also things like uh, John Harper. My understanding is he has an agreement of some kind. I don't know the legal status of it, but an agreement of some kind to do Blades in the Dark in the Stephen Bruce's... Oh, um, oh, I didn't know that. Jack Arrow setting. Neat. Yeah, I, the Kickstarter, there was a stretch goal for, for making that happen. I can't presume to speak for the arrangement there, but a person or a entity has like a world that I really dig. Maybe I can talk to them and figure out an arrangement. Right. Right. And then there's the awkward to talk about, but undeniably existent serial numbers filed off. It can be homage. It can be just inspiration. There's incidental inspiration, the mm-hmm. thing where you are inspired by a thing and you add so much to it and you're not using proper nouns and it's clearly not the same thing, but it's but your ancestry is clear. Right. The difference between derivation and inspiration in art versus law are two different things. <laughs> right. If you want to do a game version of another property, educate yourself on trademark, copyright, and intellectual property concerns. Patents, for that matter. Yeah, that's less relevant in generally in tabletop gaming, but yes. And if you are like in a border zone, talk to an attorney, right? Right. How do you know if you're in a border zone, how much of the thing that you love are you translating directly without combining it or being inspired by something else in order to make it into something that's more your own, right? So it's pretty common to be in, to say, I'm inspired by these things, or here's a thing that I love that I know will be recognizable to other people who love this without me having to say anything. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the serial numbers filed off things. For the record, if you're releasing it for free versus charging for it, that doesn't matter. You can still be in violation of copyright law if you're releasing something for free. 
you see this on YouTube all the time, right? Like, I'm not charging for this video. It's like, that doesn't mean you're not ripping off someone else's music and posting it without their permission. We can argue about how smart or correct the law is, but that's not the... Or how current. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a different topic. There is such a thing as good faith reference of a thing. And if it's in your colophon, it's in your afterward or your, or your forward that says, I loved Star Wars. And as a kid, I played the Star Wars role-playing game mm-hmm. and it spawned a completely different universe. And I tell you this because you might not even be able to see the connections, but when I say it, you'll see it. Right. That's well, one thing. Mm. Or here's my space opera game that is about adventuring and fighting against the evil overlord and has psychic magic powers. Obviously, I, I love Star Wars. One of the words to consider is confusion. If somebody mm. could be confused about whether or not your thing is derived from Star Wars, then you're in trouble. Yeah. And the other thing is if someone wants to sue you, they will, regardless of whether you're in the right <laughs> or not. That's, I suppose that's true. That's kind of the my understanding from people I've talked to who have been involved with IP litigation. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the, the, the fact that the lawsuit can be brought is independent of the fact of whether you're in the wrong or not. Right. And the cost of a lawsuit is not necessarily dependent on victory or, or defe- defeat in right. a lawsuit. They can be devastating at the RPG level. Mm-hmm. The bringing of a lawsuit for, for the kind of money that we're talking about in design, for, for tabletop uh, RPGs mm-hmm. especially, somebody brings a lawsuit, oh, you're yeah, done. You're done. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not lawyers. Uh, there's a myriad of little experiences we have with these things. The thing I can tell you is that while I philosophically believe that it is artful and kind to say thank you to Miyazaki and Lucas and Spielberg when you say, I wanted to be a creator because they're movies and changed my life. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to homage to the point that you get yourself in trouble. Yeah. And, so, and there's a point in which if your design is essentially tracing somebody else's work, you're not designing it. Yeah, so... If you're inspired by another thing, I want to play a game of Indiana Jones, right? I'm listening. <laughs> if you were inspired by Indiana Jones to make a game that no other game out there that you've seen or played has gotten given you the experience that you want to get from your Indiana Jones game, and you're starting to work on your Indiana Jones game, starting your design process with, I'm going to play Indy, and you're going to play Marion, and here's a, a scenario that's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Let's see how these mechanics work. That's a great starting point for a design. As you go through your process, you're going to find opportunities to change how the game works that is going to either uh, inspire or demand that you change those specific references to the original thing that you love. And you're going to be bringing in influences from other things as you go through your design process. So what I would say is you can wear your heart on your sleeve with these things, right? Like here's a game about archaeological adventure inspired by such works as Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. right? Totally great. People understand what you're talking about. It's in your, your elevator pitch it can be it's Indiana Jones meets whatever, right? But I think that if you're going through a thoughtful and productive design process, it's going to change to where you don't need to say, and I'm Indy and you're Marion and here's... It will become uniquely yours. Exactly. And let it. And and I dare say not even let it, but yeah, Mm -hmm. like guide that process for yourself. Right. Both because then you're kind of orienting yourself out of the waters of of legal entanglements. Uh, So that's a good reason to to do that. But also because then as it becomes uniquely yours, then it will stand out from other things. Right. That's the whole 
project, right? That's the whole thing. You're making your vision of this thing. And it's not going to be the same as Lucas's vision because... It, he has that already. Right. It's there. It's there. It exists. Yeah, it's you've already, yeah. yeah, you've already seen it. Indy's a great choice in part because we can draw this direct line from the fact that Indy is not a Republic serial. It doesn't obey actually the rules of the Republic serials in the sense of like indie movies are not 25 minutes long or whatever, mm -hmm. right? But it is so clearly inspired by those things while creating enough new stuff that now we base stuff on indie. Now we say things like, I'm inspired by indie, mm -hmm. but in this way as opposed to the Republic serial way, or I'm inspired by Tomb Raider and Uncharted and Indiana Jones, but mine does a fourth thing mm -hmm. in a completely different space. You can see the relationships between these things or, easily. Or mine lives in the space that is left vacant by the combination of these other three things. Exactly. Because they have not yet addressed this thing that I want to Ex see. Yeah, exactly, right? And so while they share inspirations, no one of those is actually derived from the other ones. You don't mm -hmm. have to play Uncharted to get an indie movie. You don't have to watch indie movies to understand Tomb Raider. You don't have to play Tomb Raider to understand why Uncharted is cool. Mm -hmm. They're all cool yeah. in their ways. If you're afraid of pushing your design to a place that is going to be uniquely yours and is going to, and, and that, like you say, that vacancy to explore that territory that is left unexplored by the thing that start, that sparked you in the first place, mm -hmm. the thing I would say is we are all afraid of it. Yeah. And you have it in you. You can still explore that territory mm. and go at your pace and figure out what it is to find your voice in that area. And there's a there's a thing to be said here about how that's adaptation. We've talked a little bit about this before is the notion of adapting influences or inspirations across media mm -hmm. just to empower designers who are making their own thing and trying to figure out how their five inspirations are going to inspire them. If you're doing an, an adaptation, like if you're making The One Ring or if you're making the Star Wars role-playing game, you're still adapting it because that the role-playing game that right. you're making didn't exist there before. Unless you specifically want to be bound by the license or your motivation is for sales reasons. Right. First of all, as an indie designer, don't pursue a license with somebody you don't know because <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they're expensive. They can be, I, I choose the word treacherous and I mean it very specifically, which is in the same way that waters are treacherous. The ocean doesn't want to betray you. Mm -hmm. Neither do most licensors in my experience, but yeah. they're not traitorous, they're treacherous. Not the licensors, but the experience because mm -hmm. there's so many variables on both sides. So, well, so rather than worrying about that dream yet, mm -hmm. make a thing that is uniquely you. Yeah. In my experience with you know the the small scale publishing mm -hmm. like you can always approach someone right you can you can do your best to approach them and be like i want to do this thing with your ip and try and work something out but unless they are also in some kind of hobby circuit yeah what you would be giving up is out of scale to what you're making right like if it's a hundred thousand dollar license that's just not gonna work right even if it's a twenty thousand dollar license or if it's something where it's like oh yeah well our lawyers are gonna have to go over it you know, everything you release. And so there's going to be an extra six months of that, or these are not specific things. I know these are just like, that's the scale at which some of these licenses may require your investment. Yeah. Uh, and are you going to get the return on that? Like all those territories have already been pretty well staked out by existing license holders. And as we see, like with Marvel, that license comes in and out. Sometimes Marvel and Disney at this point is interested in licensing it. And sometimes they are not. And we see the product line come into existence and then leave existence based on those movements of how that IP is being handled at any certain time. Right. That's what I mean. I've said before, and I'll say again, the notion of variables on each side of the contract. It marvels a situation where they want an RPG to exist, mm -hmm. but they don't need it to be in perpetuity. Right. right. They, they really want there to be kind of a catalog of the setting or whatever. And then an executive gets promoted and somebody else takes their position at Marvel and so that they have a different idea. Mm -hmm. Just as an example, right? I don't know anything about the specifics or wherever it is. I can tell a story that because it didn't happen and is hobby-like but that I can say from my own experience. I uh, have worked some with a comic creator that I still really, whose work I really, really adore. I was going to do a standalone RPG for their character 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both game, and it was just kind of an agreement like, can I do this? Yeah, it'd be great. It'll help promote the book. And we may still do it somewhere down the line, so I won't say exactly who, it's, who it was. And, I, and, and the fact that it didn't work out, to my knowledge, has no ill will in either direction. Mm-hmm. Part of it was we didn't want the same game. I wanted a game that was very specifically one thing. The creator wanted a game that was a little more classic in its structure as far as how many players before and, mm-hmm. and, and how it would relate to the world and stuff like that. I, I don't think they're wrong, by the way. I should say I think that there's a great game that, that they're pursuing. If they pursue it, there's still, there's still a great game there. But the point is, right, that they have to worry about how the book is perceived, how much time they have to spend on helping somebody make an RPG, what is at risk for them, I have to figure out, is this a thing I want to make? Mm-hmm. It's not the thing that I sought out to make when I when I wrote them and said, hey, what do you think about doing an RPG about this? And then there's a question of timing, and we're both on two different timelines, so there's a notion of if their thing is, yeah, but the game can't come out for two years, and mine's like, well, I was really looking for something that I could work on right now. All these variables are not a matter of fault or skullduggery. It's just a matter of when you're dealing with actual licensing or actual IPs or these kind of contracts or even just collaborations, mm-hmm. there are more moving parts. Yeah. And, and they sometimes align and sometimes they don't. Yeah. I mean, I think my only relevant experience is I reached out to a relatively small uh, independent wrestling company. I had an idea for, you know, using their characters essentially, right? Like they own the wrestling characters that, mm-hmm. you know, the wrestlers have. So kind of using their world that they've created in their characters as something for Worldwide Wrestling. And I reached out and we had, we talked a little bit and, and I put together uh, a pitch basically. And I was like, here's this. What would you want? out of this deal to make this happen and you know just never went anywhere maybe they got busy may maybe my pitch was just not interesting maybe they didn't see any value i was adding to their brand which is totally right a thing right like what is the value of this game in the world of whoever this author or this comic book writer or whoever it is an option that, I've, that i see happen a lot not necessarily in games but in these kind of deals is maybe they for example, the situation where they say, I'm going to wait a week to answer because I'll have more information in a week. And then that information doesn't come for a month. And then when they have it, the information is, okay, so probably we shouldn't do it or yeah. whatever. But so one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads mm-hmm. to another. And then, yeah, these things just don't may not just come together. Right. Rather than being dependent on somebody else's IP. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, right, I know I've reached out. I haven't heard a thing. So I'm not going to go ahead and file the serial numbers off and do <laughs> right. the thing anyway. Because right. from my perspective, my personal ethics around this kind of stuff, I have now told them, this is what I want to do. What do you want out of it? And they have said, we don't want any part of it, essentially. Right. So then it would be wrong for me to go ahead and do it anyway, because they kind of already opted out. Right. Right. So in terms of personal line line setting, I mean, the other way to go is like, oh, if they don't care, I guess I can do it. Right. Which is not how I would interpret that. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. Me neither. So I would advise other people not to do that, I guess. Like if you don't hear back, that doesn't mean go ahead and do it. So those are some of our experiences around IP and, and being inspired by something um, and then trying to move it into a direction where uh, you don't need to talk to lawyers about implementation. Thanks again to Tomer Guretz. Again, apologies if I mispronounced that for that question. We did receive a couple other questions, but they all kind of centered around two topics. The first is, are we going to continue developing the Insomniac Fire Pilot game? And I'm not sure if we have a whole lot to say about that other than we're not not going to do anything with that idea, if only because it's been kind of fun to have as a touch point for this whole thing. But also we're not like, we don't have a secret design document where we're hurriedly trying to pull this thing together. It might be a fun thing to do in the context of 
whatever we do next with design games and the podcast as a whole. But I don't think we have anything. We're not actually like developing that or anything, right? Right. We both have numerous other projects going on. I would be game to do it if somebody were to give me a, a reason why it needs to be scheduled. Right. I'm not opposed to the idea, but mm-hmm. right now... If anyone out there wants the Insomniac Fighter Pilot game, let us know and we can figure out some kind of event or charity thing or some kind of moment that we could do that because i think it would be fun to do also we have not collaborated on a design thing in any way i think beyond the podcast (laughs) yeah beyond the podcast i think for us it would probably be fun to give that a shot but also there's no guarantee that we would work well together honestly who knows i mean i'd like to think we would but the process can be can be weird so as an example some of the design uh, elements and principles in action i honestly have no idea if that's a 10-page game or a 50-page game Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like we don't know either right (laughs) we we literally have not even that much Mm -hmm. we have a sense of its essence but not anything about it as a yeah yeah Uh, although i love but the idea i I both love and relate to that idea yeah so yeah so thank you for your interest in the insomniac fighter pilot game maybe at some point down the road something will exist but there are no plans at the current time And the other question, which we received in a number of forms, is essentially, so you've talked about design a lot. Could you apply your conversations to a specific existing game, either doing uh, analysis of it or some other kind of deep dive conversation about like how do the things that we've talked about, how are they evident in a, a finished game? And an actual specific. I, I mean, no one's tossed us a thing, but in our internal conversations, how how are these evident in Apocalypse World? How are these evident in Inspectors? Like right. those kinds of you know, which picking for, a game. And first of all, we agree it's a that it's a great topic and question. It's a great piece of material for us to drill into, to us for to really look at is to now put these in action and not to review so much as to study actual examples in nature. Mm-hmm. And we think it's probably important to do something that's not one of our games in order to have kind of fresh eyes and not already have foreknowledge of what the intention was necessarily. All this is to say, this is something that we've been thinking about and and talking just the two of us about for a while. So our intention now is that, you know, this is the, the final episode of the design games podcast as a conversational back and forth about design elements right we have 50 episodes of this we've said the majority of what we think is useful to say at this point in time but we would like to pick a game play it look at it study it with the eye towards doing this this kind of analysis and we'll come back and record some number of episodes, probably a single digit worth of ep- episodes. Yeah, my, my, well, it we'll, kind of we'll, depends. Yeah. We'll find out, I think, how many episodes it takes to talk thoroughly about it or in right. depth about a game. But my, my hope is that we will do one per game mm-hmm. and do three or five games, something mm-hmm. like that. But right. Yeah. But uh, just as a ballpark, we may end up doing two or nine, but my guess is it'll be closer to two and three. Yeah. We, yeah. We might find out that it takes three episodes to talk about a game. Right. We might find out that we can do it in one. So at the current time, our plan is that the next thing that will be in the design games feed will be some kind of deep dive into a specific game that exists in the world. We still need to do things like pick that game, schedule our time to make sure we can engage with it fully, do the recordings, edit and produce and release. So that's a medium term thing. If you're interested in that, say subscribe to the feed uh, and it'll pop up in some number of months when we have that ready to go. I will endeavor 
to find ways to put 10 or 15 minute sections into the feed between now and then, but we, that's not a promise. Right. Yeah. No promises. No promises. Also, because with the, the calendar as it stands right now, we're getting into the holidays here in the US and, you know, we're essentially probably going to be on some kind of hiatus while we do other things with our time and also execute this idea. So that means that sooner rather than later is a great time to start tossing some specific games that you might want us to, di to dive into. We have a list of our own already that we're thinking about, so we can't guarantee that because it is requested we will play it mm -hmm. but one we'd like to expand our list and you may have great ideas i'm sure you do about things that would be good fits for that model of doing one two or three episodes of a deep dive into something maybe it's a game you're really curious about and i think we would benefit from looking at games that didn't come onto our list the first time we made a list to right. have our eyes widened by some of these suggestions so. mm -hmm. and right now a lot of what we're considering are games that we both already have experience with, mm -hmm. uh, so we should probably do that. But I think it would also be really good for us to take a game that neither of us is familiar with, yeah, right, and do that as, as play it a, from scratch, as it were, right? Because we, you know, have our own blinders on about what's out there. If you have something that you haven't heard us mention or haven't seen us talk about on the internet, or something that you think would be a, a, a good fit for something these people don't know about at this time, that let does us know. make a great suggestion. Yeah. Nathan, how do you know when a design is not just done, but good? Good and done. The self-deprecating answer is that you never know that it's good. You just decide that it's done. But I think that's not quite true, to be honest. There are times when you just need to finish the thing, and then getting done is the goal. But there's times when you look at a thing that you've made, you take what you have in front of you, and what you're essentially saying is, here was my vision for this thing. Here's what I wanted. Here's what I have. Is it short of what I wanted? Is it doing what I wanted? Is it in keeping with what I wanted? Or has it exceeded what I wanted? I feel like when something falls, especially into that last category, but even in, in meeting what my goal was, mm -hmm. that has a high correlation with also being good, being a strong piece of work. You're the best judge of whether something is good or not yet. And there's certainly times when you're kind of like, this is done, but it's not it's not all the way there. You're saying are or are not the best judge? I think you are. Okay. I think other people can tell you whether they think it's good, right? And other people can critique what you've made. And that's that has value, but... Others can tell you whether or not your game has fulfilled the goals that they brought to the game. Mm -hmm. They can't tell you if they fulfilled the goals that you set out to fulfill. Right. Or they can tell you that the goals that you have said you were setting out to, you know, like maybe there's a mismatch between what you're telling people the game is supposed to do and what the game's actually doing. And right. maybe that's because you did not accomplish what you wanted, or maybe it's because you're not communicating what you, what you wanted in the first place. But I think that there is a sense of accomplishment I know it's kind of hard to, to describe. I think so for me, my kind of development as a as a creator, I went through a, fa a couple phases, but one prolonged phase of being not confident about what I was doing, right? Second guessing myself and looking at things when I'd finished them and saying, this is not good enough. Me too. I think often we all do. Still. Yeah, often. Yeah. And that's not to say that I don't do that ever. But th this particular period of not having confidence in what I was doing gave me a, a sense of when I can be confident about like regaining some sense of like, no, this is good. Like, no, I have done a thing. I have accomplished what I set out to do. Mm -hmm. I have something to contrast that feeling against of that, that right. feeling of like, this is not good. This is not right. This isn't successful. So I've learned to trust that feeling more over time because 
uh, I've seen the other side of it, essentially. Yeah, you have enough shadows and highlights mm -hmm. to really be able to render and get a good image of the thing that you're trying to see, which is the game you made. Yeah. I, accomplishment is a great word to use in this area, I think, because for me, I'm still not a good judge of whether or not something is good, but mm -hmm. I can be a good judge of whether or not it accomplishes stuff, including or in addition to or close to what I set out. Mm -hmm. I have a problem because of my particular intersection of confidence and trust issues. I don't have a great sense of, did I do the thing and did I do it well? Mm -hmm. I just have the notion of this exists where it did not exist before. And that is good already. That is already a kind of good. That is intrinsically it, an accomplishment. Right. Yeah. And could this thing that I have made, could I have made it before the last thing I made, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Does it Does it contain things that I just learned how to do for this or from finishing the previous thing. And that's also an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. It's a step forward. And whether or not it's good is kind of, this is the way I operate. I'm not necessarily recommending this, but w whether or not it's good is kind of not my business in the sense that I yeah. get one opinion the same as everybody else does. Mm -hmm. And the way that I reconcile that is to think this, the phrase, is it good to me has almost no value. Mm -hmm. Good for what is my question? Good at what is my mm -hmm. question? Is it good at helping people play who would not otherwise have played? Is it good at rendering the genre that it sought to render? Is it good at communicating the idea that it contains? These are all different questions. And those questions can also be, is it good at selling copies? <laughs> right. Like, is yeah. it good at being easy to play at conventions? Yep. Is it good at financing the print run of the next thing I want to do? Right. Right. These are all ways of framing what success is that I think you have to do for definitely any creative endeavor. I'm, I'm pretty sure you have to do it for anything where you're striving for an end goal. For projects of almost any sort. Yeah. You need to reflect on the project against the parameters that you will consider successful. And sometimes part of the process is learning what the success state is. It's similar to, to, to your inspiration where you can start in one point with your inspiration, but your inspiration can change as it's fed back into by your design process. Right. You can start out with the goal of, I want this to be the greatest 10 player game that I can make uh, in the fantasy genre. And then as you design the game and learn that the mechanics are perfect for anything up to six players, but past that, oh no, it's really wonky. That's a break point of either I need to keep working on it so that I can gain the success that I want or you say, okay, well, maybe the success for this game is mm -hmm. going to be the best six-player game that I can make. I accidentally made the best six-player fantasy game mm -hmm. while setting out to make the best 10-player, which doesn't mean you can't still make the best 10-player. Right. This just isn't it. This, this is a different thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I feel like when when that comes from outside, that's kind of moving the goalposts, right? When mm -hmm. someone's like, I want you to give me a 200-page game and you make a 200-page game, they're like, I actually want you to make me a 300-page game. Or like, this game is too long. There is too much material here. Cut half of it. <laughs> uh, that's moving the goalposts. That's, yeah. th that's a different issue. Discovering what you're making is an important part of that design process and not forcing a thing to be a thing that it's not is also a part of the design process. You have the ability to change the thing that you're making, but sometimes you're also going to find that the thing that you made is great at a thing that is separate from the goal you initially set. Mm -hmm. And that's a great time for you to, to revisit your goal. Evaluating success, mm -hmm. like has this been successful? In my experience that you have to do after you've said that it's done after you've right. finished the project. Sometimes it's the motivator to get it done, is to yeah. find out if it turned out good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also getting it done often will make you make those final decisions that you've been putting off, right? Mm -hmm. So it's valuable in that way. But as we were saying earlier about uh, completion being very valuable to the process, it is essential to evaluation, mm -hmm. right? You have completed the thing. It now exists in whatever form 
you've chosen and you can step back and look at it both at the time be like all right is this a success is this has this achieved what i wanted to is it good at x y and z right but also later you look back at it after a year after three years after 10 years is it still a success has the metric changed has your personal idea of what is good changed over time i know that's happened for me where my style essentially right like the, the mm. kinds of mechanics that i like to create yeah has changed over time so looking at my older work even when i considered them successes at the time looking back it's kind of like that is a moment in time that right. would not be a success if i made it now I've, i learned from doing that but now i do things differently and that's a valuable part of the process as well it can help you realize that you may be the audience for your game when you make it and then after a year, two years, three years, you may no longer be the audience for that game. That mm -hmm. game is still the same and you are not. That absolutely happens where it's like, I wouldn't play that game. I made it. I played it at the time, but right. I'm a different person now and I'm interested in other things and I wouldn't play that game anymore. Right. And that's not wrong. Like you don't, you're not beholden to your older work also as part of completing things and putting them out is you also are now saying this is crystallized a moment. Mm -hmm. You're not beholden to carry it with you forever and ever if it doesn't still represent you. That moment when it's done and you can look back a year later, a month later, two years later, whatever, and you have an opportunity to say, is it good at X? Is it good at Y? And then think to yourself, if it is great, and if it's not, how can the next one maybe accomplish that goal that I peeled off this one during the process? Mm -hmm. Everything that you finish contains a number of implicit what ifs about the next thing you can make. So every time you complete a design, you are at the start of myriad new possible designs. And sometimes you'll already know what your next design is gonna be because you got the idea during the last one or because you you made a bullet point list of three or 10 designs that you wanna <laughs> hit in order. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just looking back at the thing that you made that exists where before it did not exist will give you ideas that make you an influence on your own work. When you've made that thing that is influencing you now, and you'll find, we hope, influencing other designers and other gamers to become designers and, and to make their own things. And you find that you have inspired somebody else to play a certain way, to play this game, to play this game this way, to make their own thing. There's that point where you are undeniably now in the conversation mm -hmm. and you get to say the what if questions that I post this design, you are as qualified to answer them as anybody. And you are one game more qualified to answer them than you were before. Mm -hmm. And as you can continue through your process, you become the expert on what you do. Yeah. You become the one best qualified to evaluate success. I also don't want to underplay the fact that sometimes you step back and go like, no, oh, that wasn't as successful. But there right. were other factors that I needed to finish it, whether it's a deadline, uh, whether someone else is involved, whether you just got it good enough. Whether resources run out. Yeah, resources run out, time runs out. There's all kinds of reasons to finish a thing, put it out into the world, and then evaluate it and say like, that was not as successful in these areas as I would have hoped, right? Yeah. That's kind of the most positive way to think about it. I think the fact that you finish is itself a success. Ending projects or ending a phase of something, cutting it, you know, saying I'm done with this, I'm moving on, can be a really valuable part of the process. That's not a failure uh, necessarily, even if it's saying I'm not gonna accomplish the thing I set out to do. But I think if you put something out into the world, it is kind of by definition not a failure. It just might not be successful in the way that you had envisioned. So there's kind of a scale there where you're like, what am I happy with? What achieved what I wanted? What am I not happy with? What did not achieve what I wanted? And you take those lessons and, and turn them into the next thing. Your goals are going to change in relative to the project during the project. And then your opinion of it can change afterwards and your relationship to it can change afterwards, like we've said. And so that notion is that I made this thing and I am now 
better experience to make the next thing or mm. 10 next things, whatever it is. There's a certain point in which success is out of your hands at that point. You've done the part that you mm. can do. You've made the thing. Yeah. There are many examples of things that are successful games that are failures in the marketplace. Right. Right. Yeah. Or things that are not what you, for whatever value of you as a player, as a fellow designer or whatever, that you would not consider a successful product that is successful in the marketplace, right? Like those things are independent and are not necessarily what we're talking about, I think. Right. It's more about not being distracted by those things. Right, exactly. And kind of being able to separate your ego, right? As a creator, your your ego as someone who invested so much time and effort and work into a thing. Separating that out from the the fact that there are things that you're not happy with or that it's not successful at doesn't mean you didn't accomplish. Uh, it just means you need to gain the skill of separating evaluating its success from letting things that were not as successful uh, push you off of the path mm -hmm. um, that you're on. You have a lot of say in what you take away from the thing that you made once it's made. Mm -hmm. And anything that you predict you're going to take away from it is interesting, but is kind of a trivia compared to what you will mm -hmm. actually take away when it's done. Because predicting its success, predicting its accomplishments, predicting its reception is not the most important part of this thing. Mm -hmm. Right. You may be right about, oh, I think it's going to sell about this many copies or I think it's only going to hit this this audience or I think this audience mm -hmm. is going to go really gonzo for it and really love it. Those That's nice. And it's good for business to be able to make those mm -hmm. predictions successfully. But that is not necessarily a demand of the art of designing games. And I think you get better at being accurate in your expectations yeah. as you do more projects. I have a better sense now than I did 10 years ago about when I'm working on a game, if, if it's going to find a bigger audience or a smaller audience. Right. And I'm usually pretty right. And you just kind of gain that experience because you you have the context of what am I working on? What's out there in the world already? And what's the, the chances of this hitting? And how long does that relationship with that audience last? Is yeah. a difficult thing to predict? That's and, true. And when does it start? Mm -hmm. Some games are out for a year before somebody notices them, plays yeah. them on a Twitch channel, and then people go, oh, that is great. I didn't, I've never saw it in action. I didn't realize how mm -hmm. great it was or whatever. So. And on a, on a personal note, I think, you know, I've had things that have been objectively uh, in the sense of, you know, now that I've stepped back and looked back at them, failures in the sense of either I intended for it to do this thing and it did not. I finished it anyway for whatever reasons I needed to finish it. And, you know, it just wasn't up to snuff. There are also things where I finished a thing, but I didn't know what I wanted out of it. Yeah. For me, like emotionally, those are also failures. But with time, I'm able to look back and separate those two things. Yeah. And kind of get better at knowing what I want out of a project instead of just doing the project and then it's not received well or it just doesn't work right or whatever. You know, it's here, it's done, I did it. It's like, why do you do it? I don't know why I did it. And that's just a, a, a failure in the in my earlier process that now I'm able to reflect on and learn from. So which is all to say that these things are, it's a, it's a progressive dynamic, right? You are always moving forward with your development and using the evaluation stage of the process is just as much a part of it as being inspired, as doing the work, as going through playtesting, as going through each of those uh, narrowing points on our on our diamond diagram. You know, thinking about how to get out into the world, doing all the development of the the physical form, all those things. Finishing is a stage, and evaluating what you did is a stage, and those are critical to your overall process just as much as the earlier stuff. And in that long narrative then of you as a designer, that is also the signal that's the narrowing of one diamond and the expanding of the next one, right? Is that mm -hmm. you look back on that thing, you look back on all the things that you made before it, you look back on who you are as a designer at that point, what you want next and how you're going to achieve it. And whatever it is that you're going to design next, I hope it's games because we love them. But as you move forward and invent things, whether it's a game or a type of play or a character or a world or whatever it is, 
I think that reflection and evaluation on the, the completed thing that you have is super valuable, not only in knowing what you're going to make next and how you're going to kind of self-identify, but is the fact that you've, by making that thing, regardless of what anybody else might say, you are a fellow game designer because you design games. Thanks for listening to the Design Games Podcast. You can find all of our older episodes, as well as everything else Design Games Podcast related at designgamespodcast.com. Become a Patreon backer of the Design Games Podcast by supporting Nathan or Will. My Patreon is at patreon.com slash ndpaoletta. My Patreon is at patreon.com slash wordwill. What does one even say at the end of a podcast? I've given it a lot of thought, Nathan, and I think I figured it out. I think one says... Thank <laughs> you.